This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Hey, this is Jimmy Mack from Rebel Force Radio. Besides Star Wars, if you're itching to dive deep into all things geek, park your speeder right here at the Scarif Scuttlebutt Podcast. And may the Force be with you always. What's happening, Scuttle Buddies? Thanks for joining us. And uh, we got a really special show tonight. We are talking about costumes in our sci-fi and fantasy franchises, all that wonderful stuff that we love. I'm flipping through the book called Dressing a Galaxy, The Costumes of Star Wars for One. And if you guys remember, uh, that is a book by Trisha Biggar, who was the... uh, Costume designer for the prequels. It is an amazing book uh, for many reasons, but it has some really great detailed photos of the costumes that were designed for Episode One: The Phantom Menace, back in 1999. And I'm going to read a uh, forward, a welcome from Trisha Bigger uh, in the book. And it talks a little bit about the process, but uh, it's really cool. Here, here's what she has to say. The book now in your hands recognizes and celebrates the awesome talents of the many accomplices who aided and abetted me during the past eight years of designing, dressing, decorating, and adorning not only human forms, but the phenomenal range of body shapes and sizes of the beings presented in the Star Wars prequel trilogy. It may not have always been easy, but I hope my cohorts feel as happy as I do with the results of their involvement and efforts in what has been, beyond question, an incredible and amazing experience. Of course, it was incredible and amazing for us, as well as the audience members for uh, the uh, prequel trilogy, some amazing work and amazing costumes that have gone into this franchise, as I stated before. But we have a really great episode with uh, an amazing guest, a costume maker in her own right, Marisha Gore from ScienceFictionary.com and Coruscant Radio Underground. So let's get the show started and uh, let's see what we have to talk about on this special Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast. All you Scuttle Buddies out there, thank you for tuning in. I am Ro from the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast, one-third of this wonderful venture we call Scarif. And uh, joined today, I'm really excited. Chantal, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Fantastic, fantastic. I I was saying I'm really excited. Uh, Last week, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, the choices that uh, our heroes make. Uh, We called it uh, with great responsibility. Um, but we are kind of, uh, we're kind of switching gears here. We're having a little fun and I know we really, uh, got really deep and philosophized. Is that a word? Uh, about, about, uh, the choices that our heroes and villains make in our, uh, our, our nerd dumb, the comics and the movies that we watch, but, uh, we wanted to switch it up this week and have a little fun. Um, and obviously you mentioned costumes and how much costumes are, are, uh, obviously a, a big part of our fandom. Uh, whether it's Star Wars or Star Trek, Lord of the Rings, uh, there's all sorts of wonderful, wonderful looks that uh, each and every uh, 
aspect of our geekdom um, has uh, when it comes to costumes. And uh, we are joined this afternoon by none other than uh, Marisha from Coruscant Radio Underground and the Science Fictionary. Marisha, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be here. I, you know, me, costumes is, is my jam. I'm always excited to talk costumes. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons uh, that I thought of you. <clears throat> you were top of our list when it comes to costumes. But uh, Chantel, you had a, uh, I think you had a little story. You were really excited about uh, talking about costumes. And I know costumes is, is a big uh a big thing with you, Marisha, but uh, Chantel, you um, posted a picture of Catwoman, and right. um, I'm going to ask you a question regarding the costume, but which is your favorite Catwoman uh, woman, uh, as far as uh, the actors and who have uh, portrayed that character? Well, for me, um, because Michelle Pfeiffer is the first Catwoman that I was exposed to, for me, it's always going to be her, and then behind that would most likely be Lee Merriweather, you know, one of the uh, many actresses who portrayed Catwoman in the original Batman series. But other than that, like the Halle Berry one, that does not fly with me. I don't even consider that movie (laughs) anyway, so it's fine. Yeah, but but the, the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman, she will always be my number one. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I know a lot of people are really, uh, you know, big fans of the original Catwoman uh, from the 60s, the Batman show. We had, uh, what's the actress's name? Help me out here. Um, There's so many. There was Lee Merriweather. Who was it um, before? Uh, Eartha Kitt. Eartha Kitt, yes. Oh, how can we forget the infamous uh, Eartha Kitt, mm-hmm. um, who also uh, donned the uh, Catwoman outfit in the 60s Batman but, um, you know, at Marisha, a while ago, you uh, actually today you just posted that uh, Twitter post regarding um, costumes and our fandom. And I'm wondering if, if you're keeping track of that vote uh, of that poll. It's actually it's in. I, I said it to I said it to end right as we were starting to record. We oh. got 68 votes and um Star Wars wins by a landslide, which is not <laughs> a course. huge shot considering the demographic of yep. my um, Twitter world. But exactly. 77.9% of voters went with Star Wars, followed by Lord of the Rings with 17%, Wizard of Oz with 4%, and Game of Thrones with a big whopping zero. Wow. <laughs> Nobody for Game of Thrones? That's interesting. I'm a little surprised. Honestly, I would have thought somebody would have gone in for Game of Thrones. But yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's pretty cool. And like I said, you know, I, I had responded to that poll and, and I know we're very biased, uh, you know, obviously for Star Wars because of our audience. You said it. Um, but I, I did vote. Um, I vote, I voted often and I vote, I voted uh, a couple of times on different accounts, but star Wars, obviously close to my heart. Um, but I really, uh, I really took a deep look into the, the list there. Um, and obviously the wizard of Oz had some, has some great costumes and things like that. Lord of the Rings, obviously, but star Wars is, um, you know, and knowing a lot of the behind the scenes, uh, work that goes into all of the franchises, obviously. But Star Wars is really, you know, it's a franchise that is very inventive and that uh, not only does it count for the story, uh, you know, that we all get to experience, but the work that is done behind the scenes. 
And mm-hmm. I know Marisha, a while ago we had talked about the the uh, the book uh, "Dressing a Galaxy," oh, yes. and how wonderful that uh, that book was uh, or is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's some amazing amazing work that goes into costumes in our franchise. But uh, let's uh, let's get started. What do you? How do you guys want to start? Hey, this is this is your circus. You get to make that call. <laughs> In your notes, you have something about uh, the importance of costumes, and obviously, any of the franchises would be a lot different if there were if there was no thought put into these uh, characters. I know the characters, uh, the costumes, play a, a very important role in the look of a character, even the feeling of a character. I mean, you know, you sit in the theater in the dark and you see that first scene where Darth Vader comes up. It is unmistakable who the bad guy is when that door blasts open and uh, Vader pops out. Uh, You guys want to talk a little bit about how important it is to really plan out a character like that, especially when it comes to costumes? Who wants to start that one? Well, um, for me, I mean, I'll I'll go ahead. Uh, I mean, I think we can all, I think it's pretty safe to say that you know, as people, we're pretty visual, you know, I mean, we always go off the visual first, it's what we see first more than anything. So for me, costumes always play such a big deal, because even before, like you said, just now with Darth Vader, he didn't even have to open his mouth, you didn't even hear a single word, only his breath. And but just that look, he's such an imposing figure in that costume, just all black, that shiny helmet, the cape, you just get the sense this is not somebody to fuck with you know and that's i'm sorry and not really but and and that's what i love about costumes and look just like us in real life i mean it is a reflection of who we are so i feel like yeah it's a very important part of the character and that's interesting too because like like in real life you know we we wake up we 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 get dressed we dress ourselves for the occasion you know most of us obviously go out and we work or whatever function it is, but we do dress according to, you know, sometimes how we feel or, mm-hmm. or what we want to project, whether it's at work or a social, yeah. you know, gathering. Um, I can't picture like Kylo Ren going through his closet and saying, hmm, today I think I feel like this. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of, it's kind of funny. I mean, you know, the, these, and, and obviously these characters have some very intricate, um you know costumes and and garb so it's uh it's really pretty cool well it's it's one of those things you know just like the people who are creating the set the people who are writing the script put a lot of thought into what makes people tick you know mm-hmm. um that's that's what you're tr- you're getting at in costume design you know even in costume design for where people are wearing really regular clothes, you know, you're, you're trying to get into people's heads and what makes them, you know, choose to present themselves the way they do. But in sci-fi and fantasy, there's just the canvas is so much bigger. You're not just, you know, presenting how an individual thinks about themselves and how they relate to the world, but how an entire species or an entire race or an entire planet choose to present themselves. And I mean, we have seen some stuff over the years, especially in sci-fi. Um, mm-hmm. 
I think fantasy tends to be very um, medieval in its influence. Um, you know, mostly, you know, ever, ever since, especially since Lord of the Rings was published and kind of, and, and those really iconic art, you know, all, all of that really iconic art came out. It, it's pretty standard, but there is no standard for sci-fi, you know, for aliens or for any, any of the other, you know, future or past, you know, long ago and far away kind of culture. So it's always really interesting to see what people kind of come up with. Like, okay, my favorites are always people trying to guess how the world is going to look in a hundred years. You know, is this like, okay, let's, if, or if, if this had happened, what would, what would people wear every day? It is, it is funny. And I, you know, what comes to mind when you said all that is, you know, I, I, I obviously we all used to watch a lot of Star Trek, the next generation when Captain Picard mm -hmm. and his away team would go down to a certain planet every week when they had their adventures, there's always a group of people wearing like one kind of like brown outfit or one kind of like green outfit with a, you know, with a yellow sash around their, their chest. And you knew that those were the alien guys because they were, they wore that type of outfit on this planet that is, you know, is out there. So it's, it's kind of funny. And obviously, you know, in outside of our universe, you know, okay, let's, what, what are the aliens wearing? And this, the wardrobe department has like, you know, seven days to, to make something. So just make it. But right. it's kind of funny though, in, in sci-fi and television, how that works, where, you know, one alien race gets one jumpsuit or one type of jumpsuit. But yeah, you know, it, it's really great when you get into the big budgets, obviously, when people start, you know, the artists start to really think about the functionality of costumes in their environment. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, something as simple as, you know, you think about the Spider-Man outfit and everybody, it's a very iconic outfit. It's a very iconic uh, costume, but it has had some variations over the years, you know, from that uh, very familiar webbed red and blue uh, spandex outfit to, you know, what we know now uh, mm -hmm. from, you know, the Avengers Endgame and how mm -hmm. that costume has kind of changed. But uh, what do you guys feel about uh, costumes changing from, from not only trilogy to trilogy, but franchise or, or I guess movies to movies? And I know sometimes, you know, that is kind of uh, relegated to, you know, this time let's sell X amount of toys because Iron Man's suit is different. But, um, you know, when it comes to stuff like that, it is a little, I guess, explainable in universe because the character is starting to, you know, design different outfits, design new technology. And Chantel, you being a Batman fan, I just mm -hmm. finished watching, um, you know, uh, Superman versus or Batman versus Superman. And, you know, he's got a couple of different outfits. What do you think about the outfit changes in, in our superheroes and villains throughout the films? Oh God, especially with Batman. This was actually something that I was thinking about. I mean, the bat suit itself has gone through so many yeah. different looks from the original 1980, even going back to Adam West with your typical spandex. Mm -hmm. Then you get to the Michael Keaton one. Then you get even to Batman Returns. I think they even changed the symbol slightly. Then you don't get mention to, don't mention I, plastic nipples. Then you get to Joel Schumacher. <laughs> there you go. May he rest in peace. But that was a huge misstep, sir. 
Bat I nipples. wonder. That's all I have I just, to say. I just, <laughs> I, I wonder, I really wonder, like in the boardroom, somebody came up and said, you know what? Batman needs nipples. On his we outfit. actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago because <laughs> my 20 year old co-host has strong opinions on these things oh, okay. uh, because they felt that it was important that they presented Bruce Wayne as a sexual being. So they needed to give him. <laughs> okay. So I guess it's funny uh, that Chantel you mentioned that. Hold on. I, yeah, I, I, I guess, I, I mean, I don't know if I really understand that, but I, it's actually funny that you say that. Cause one of the things that I was going to bring up in this conversation is actually the sexualization of the female costumes. Sure. So here, I here. guess, I guess I can understand why they did that for the females, but as a female, I felt it was ridiculous. Didn't need to see that. Don't think it's a turn on. I just thought it was ridiculous. So, but, but I do, I do get it. I mean, there's been a lot of talk recently about like in WandaVision, her new costume versus the one that she was wearing, you know, in the Marvel movies, wearing the corset, her boobs up to her neck kind of thing. And I get it. It's not functional. You're doing it. I guess you're doing it for the fanboys. I can't speak for them. Don't know why the costume was designed that way. But I did like the newer costume. It seemed more functional. And you know what? I think it still looked sexy. If that's what you're still trying to go for, I get it. We're all visually stimulated. I understand. It's not like the women weren't going gaga when Thor came onto the scene, finally, right. with Chris Hemsworth. So yeah, I, I, I guess I can somewhat understand why nipples were put on the bat suit, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> not really. But it seems like the ex it seems like the studio executives obviously you know I'll, I'll say this in jest but not really you know they're all controlled by men yeah, and it's like you know true. what let's get some let's get some butts in the seats and let's yep. design this uh, sexy outfit for Catwoman and you know what let's have something for the ladies how about plastic nipples there you go <laughs> and I I guess it's it doesn't really the bridges don't connect there I guess. It seems like maybe someone didn't have a very good idea of what women were going to think was attractive. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Facts. Right. Facts. What do you guys think of uh, the the importance of costumes in, in certain genres? And I know, you know, each genre has its own thing. You've got Lord of the Rings, you know, they're almost Jedi-like, you know, robes and capes and things like that. And you've got certain tropes uh, in superheroes. Um, but, uh, you know, it, somebody was telling me and, or asking me, can you tell what type of movie or what type of character uh, it is uh, by just the costumes? And I think sometimes you, you really can, um, especially with a lot of the... Uh, previs artwork that's coming out from certain Star Wars accounts where you can kind of see a, uh, a the development of certain characters and costumes and things like that. And you can totally tell each as Star Wars, especially we're talking about signature looks, mm -hmm. uh, you know, everything from the beginning when, you know, I, I think it's John Molo was designing some of the costumes for the original Star Wars and, uh, you know, artists like Ralph McQuarrie, obviously, but def different uh, different franchises, I guess, have that certain look that you can really, really understand where they were going uh, or what they were going for. Um, but what about you guys? What What do you guys think about the, I guess, the difference between the looks in certain sci-fi, you know, genres? We've got uh, Dune coming out. 
So that's got, you know, it's very specific look, um, you know, but it's not obviously it's not the first franchise that has a desert planet, but it's very, very different. I mean, yeah, I think you can typically, especially in stories that have a strong fantasy element, if it's not, you know, 100 percent pure sci fi. You know, your your villain is is often going to be wearing a mask. He's going to be wearing something imposing. Your good guys are going to generally be wearing things that are a little more flowy, a little more, um, you know, kind of one with the universe kind of vibe going, you know, in, in their clothes. I mean, I think that that's fair to say in a lot of things you can, especially things that have an established lore, like you said, superhero movies. Um, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, they have a very distinct look for good guys and bad guys, you know, and a lot of that is just based on really old ways of looking at things, you know, ugly, bad, <laughs> beautiful, good. And, sure. you know, that's it's kind of simplistic and um, maybe a little problematic, mm -hmm. but that is how that's how people make snap judgments. And so that's usually reflected in the costuming, you know, the hair and the makeup and all that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's uh, one of the ways that filmmakers communicate to the audience and say, you know, or try to have misdirection too, because mm -hmm. you might have somebody that, you know, initially you might think, oh, he's, uh, he's probably a good guy. And then they switch it up on you. So mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it's one of the many um devices in filmmaking that uh are playing with your subconscious to try to communicate that certain element of the film the ideology of the movie and you know again this is one of the reasons i really love you know the process of filmmaking the process that these creatives go through to uh to communicate that uh that style of of of, of storytelling which which i really love and I really like that point that you just made, Ro, about misdirection. And it can actually go the other way around because one mm -hmm. of the first things that I thought of when you said that, bringing a little bit more into the present, perfect example is Harry Potter. When you see Severus Snape, especially if you're somebody who's never read the books, and you see him dressed all in black in those billowing black, you know, garb and the way he's treating everybody, you would never think think in a million years that his story would go the way that it went and that really at the end of the day despite what you're seeing on the outside he actually was a good guy at the end of it and i think that that was really fantastic storytelling especially if i read the book so i knew it was coming but like for my sister who had never read the books and was going only based off the movies mm -hmm. let me tell you it was a shock for her because she's here thinking the same thing, you know, oh, he's all dressed in black. He hates Harry, this and that. And then you see, no, he's he's been a good guy this whole time. It's 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 like you said, it's great storytelling misdirection. And I think that's part of the reason people lost their minds so much when The Force Awakens came off and Kylo Ren takes off that helmet. And all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute. You're supposed he's, to be. He's beautiful. He's he's. <laughs> why, how does he have any business? You know, like not being scarred and deformed. Right. That's how villains are supposed to look. Right. They're all supposed to be right. scarred and deformed. I'll show you the dark side. You've got.
got something very interesting in the notes um, talking about how costumes can help tell a story now that we're uh, diving into this topic, you know, and as far as having the story feel timeless uh, instead of frozen in the year that the movie was made and even in the year that the that the the costume was made um, there, you know, you go back to a lot of sci fi movies, especially because, like you said, Marisha, sometimes the artists have to kind of guess what something is going to look like in the future. Um, and that kind of pigeonholes them into a certain aesthetic. And then, you know, you see it 10, 15, 20, or in the case of star Wars, 40 plus years later, and you're like, ah, no, that was made in the seventies. You can totally tell, but you know, for me, and again, because I've always said it, you cut me in star Wars and I, and star Wars comes out of my blood. It's, I, I still see films like star Wars as very timeless because Mm-hmm. Um, although a lot of the X-Wing pilots, you know, have some nice seventies sideburns, uh, and things like that, that it's always are the haircuts. Yeah. <laughs> the exactly. haircuts are always yeah. the thing that will give you away, especially men's haircuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because people time. are like, surely men have always cut their hair this way. <laughs> <laughs> no. And no, always no. will. And always will. Yeah. And that's one of the great things that I uh, love about Rogue One, that they actually kept that aesthetic. You mm-hmm. see, fo- mm-hmm. you know, you see those new scenes that were shot. And I swear it's it's almost like they found footage from the 70s and then just kind of made a movie. And mm-hmm. uh, and that was Rogue One. So it's yeah. it's interesting. I, I love that. So, you know, going back to it, I mean, let's discuss how, uh, what are some of your favorite movies that you can kind of go back and really, you know, appreciate how, how timeless they are based on costumes? Well, for me, which is really what started this whole conversation. And I mean, I went back and watched Batman Returns again. And to me, I really do think that that Catwoman suit is timeless. I still think you could use that costume today and it would still be just as visually striking i mean i remember when my parents rented that movie i was like 10 years old i couldn't watch it they used to send me and my sister into the room when they wanted to watch a more adult movie (laughs) and i remember sneaking out and it was right in the scene where you first meet catwoman and she's fighting off that guy defending that woman and as a 10 year old when i first saw that costume it struck me and it was just so gorgeous and then i look at this movie now 25 years later and i am still struck by its beauty and the way it's constructed meow and of course i love the symbolism behind all the stitching and how it's coming apart. I mean, that costume tells such a story about Catwoman, about Selena Kyle, that I just feel like you could still use that today. I think that costume still works today. I love that costume so much. And that's a great point. Uh, you know, getting back to the symbolism of the uh, costumes for each character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's a great example of, of timeless pieces and timeless characters within the the uh, genre you know within the genres that we all love and marisha obviously you've got uh some great experience with uh timeless costumes 
I mean, not only is, you know, Queen Amidala some mm-hmm. of your favorite uh, outfits, but you dress your children that way, too. I do. They're very <laughs> Good. cute. Good. <laughs> they are. They're pretty cute. I don't do much on Instagram these days, but that's pretty much and I'm like, oh, look, I found a cute picture of my kids. I think my Instagram people need to see it. <laughs> um, but I feel like the Star Wars prequels, um, especially, are some of the most timeless movie costumes ever done the star wars prequels and the lord of the rings movies i think both did a masterful job of creating a very believable world that is still just as relevant today as it was 20 years ago and that is that's significant that's an accomplishment to be able to turn something on. And if nobody told me the movie was 20 years old, I I wouldn't be able to put a date on it. And that's the secret of timeless movies uh, when it comes to, you know, obviously not only costumes, but everything that goes into, you know, mm-hmm. putting these wonderful stories together. Absolutely. Uh, kudos to Trisha Bigger and her team. Mm-hmm. Um, again, mentioning her and she's the one that, uh, that, uh, created that book, uh, dressing up a galaxy or dressing a galaxy mm-hmm. and, uh, just wonderful thing. If anybody has that book or has access to it, uh, highly encourage you to kind of, uh, carefully flip through the pages. Cause it's very expensive. Uh, a <laughs> couple of hundred bucks on eBay. I'm very lucky that I, that I got it at retail, <laughs> but, um, absolutely. Yeah. So another kind of interesting thing about, you know, movies that are timeless, then there's the movies that weren't even timely when they were made, right? They were complete and total bombs. But like people are always talking about the the costumes. And it's such a weird phenomenon, especially when you start kind of getting into costuming. You start discover people, you know, making these huge elaborate, you know, cosplays of these movies that nobody saw because they were terrible (laughs) so yeah that's that's kind of an interesting phenomenon i think um jupiter ascending probably is one of the more significant um you know like noticeable like i mean when that movie came out like people were like shut the front door this is phenomenal you know and so like rushed out to make the costume before the movie even came out and then the movie came out and um was widely considered disappointing (laughs) i actually enjoyed the movie but a lot of people didn't but i mean y'all those costumes are just exquisite cool and obviously we you know we had our uh plastic nipple discussion in uh, yes. batman so yep. yeah we were still talking about it decades later amazing <laughs> yep it's true you know one of the other movies that i um i know chantal i think you have strong feelings against it is uh some of the riddick movies um they uh they're you know obviously uh sci-fi uh in nature uh i'm not sure if they did uh commercially you know well i i think they they obviously made some money and they they did three of them plus an animated uh film but uh it's one of these uh franchises that uh you know gets released and then some people will see it and then it's forgotten yep. but uh mm-hmm. you know some of, the, some of the costumes in that were were really great i i think uh thandy newton was in that in one of them yes um and i was just gonna say her costume is beautiful but yeah so there's some really really movie. great great costumes in that yeah. uh 
So yeah, that's uh, that's pretty funny. What are some of the other directors whose films um, really have a rich tapestry? See what I did there of <laughs> uh, of costumes and 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 visual looks. Besides the previously discussed, right? Yeah, George I mean, Lucasson. Exactly. You know, what do you guys think of, you know, obviously superhero movies before everything started to get like dark and moody, mm -hmm. you know, everybody was colorful and mm -hmm. because of the comic books, you know, you had, uh, I mean, look at vision in the comic mm -hmm. books versus vision now. And obviously they, they, they kind of played a little tongue in cheek with visions, uh, comic book costume in the mm -hmm. Disney plus series, which I mm -hmm. loved. Right. But, um, what do you guys think? And especially now with the justice league Snyder cut out, everything is like dark and gray and, and moody. It's, uh, it's almost, you know, I mean, it's, it's been going in that direction for, for quite a while, but, uh, do you guys miss color in your costumes in, uh, in the superhero genre? I think I kind of blame the Green Lantern costume, that bright green CGI mess. I mean, yeah. I feel like maybe that's kind of what did it. But a lot of these movies are getting so heavy to begin with. I mean, even the Marvel movies in the end. I mean, Infinity Wars and Endgame. I mean, those movies got so serious that to see something campy like the old Batman series running around, you know, the screen... I don't I don't know if I would like that and I think it would make me feel like it's catering more towards children. I don't know, I think it would put me off actually. Sure. And I think there's a place for happy stories and cheery mm -hmm. costumes and 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 for the reverse. I think, you know, talking about tone, it's all about the tone. Mm -hmm. Now, personally, I could use for superhero movies to get a little bit less brood some yeah. like i'm really kind of tired of batman and superman and thor and everybody being all broody all the time i mean batman's always broody but everybody yeah. else doesn't have to be broody too um so i'll kind of be i'm kind of excited to see some things that look like they're going to be going a little bit more upbeat um and so maybe we can get a little bit more color back in our uh in our superhero world and everybody mm -hmm. won't just be wearing you know glorified tactical suits right yeah i think you might get that with the new uh the suicide squad i mean those that looks like it's gonna be a pretty bright movie it's not superheroes but yeah. Yeah. which is kind of odd to see villains with such bright colors but yeah. that that movie That's looks true. like it's lots, gonna be lots yeah. of color lots mm -hmm. of lots of just stuff just strange. happening there yeah. <laughs> lots of strange yes you know, you guys were talking about, uh, you know, the traditional way of making costumes. Obviously, you have a team of, uh, you know, costume creators who go out and find fabrics and put together these patterns and measure the actors and, and create these costumes almost, uh, you know, um, you know, the way they've been doing costumes forever. But now you've got you know, technology that kind of augments certain costume elements, which to me, again, you know, getting back to the fact that I'm kind of a, a technology geek, I love, uh, you know, take a look at uh, the capes that some of these uh, heroes wear and obviously, you know, fabric and wind, uh, very 
unpredictable, uh, you know, things to film. But uh, a lot of times these actors just go on set and there's not, they're not wearing anything, or at least they're wearing suits with dots on them. And then the costumes and the images get placed uh, on them afterwards, which I think is fantastic. I think you mentioned um, Endgame uh, and they did a lot of that in Endgame where, some of their, you know, time travel suits or whatever were were CGI and they were wearing, you know, uh, digital markers, which, you know, when you look at the film, it's it's really amazing what they're doing with technology and costumes mm -hmm. and, and, and augmented reality, uh, you know, within that realm, especially in the genre that that we all, uh, you know, are part of. Um, do you guys see what would be the next step in the evolution of costume manufacturing, whether it's digital or, or Marisha, you obviously you uh, didn't uh, last year, didn't you work on a film where you supplied some support for uh, filmmaking in your community? Yeah, I've done, I've actually worked on a couple of movies that they've made here locally um, as just a seamstress. Um, but it's been a little bit of time in the, the, costume department and it was very different than i was expecting there's a lot more like making lists and buying and returning things than i was envisioning <laughs> it was almost like but where do you make the things <laughs> um you know one of the more interesting things there was actually a while back now i don't even know maybe two years ago two or three years ago there was an episode um of conan o'brien's show where he went and had a superhero costume made. Did y'all see this? But it was unreal. Like they they took him I, in there I know and they stripped him down and then they like laser measured him. You're killing me. I, I and know. Then they I built know. This thing like 3D printed this suit and like added muscles. It was it was unreal. This was when he was I, doing we, Comic Con. We can't, yeah. Yes. We we're not uh we're not transmitting this the video portion here but Chantel is losing her shit right now <laughs> i am so in love with conan o'brien you have no idea that's funny <laughs> but i i was really shocked because i just assumed that they started with a flat piece of fabric and built it like you build things like you make clothes mm -hmm. but this was completely different like i said they basically just built this thing out of some kind of plastic composite just printed it wow it was Those unbelievable printers are amazing and it was like well that's why cosplayers can't make their suits look right. as good as the ones in the movies it's true. It's true yeah the laser laser measuring mm -hmm. um and then you know similar to how they do action figures now i mean remember the old han solo kenner action figures that looked absolutely nothing like harrison ford and now you've got, you know, black series action figures that are, you know, spitting image of the actors that are played, uh, that it's play crazy. them. And it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty fascinating stuff. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the next evolution in costuming is. You know, I think there's always going to be a place for very traditional costuming methods, um, for certain kinds of, for certain kinds of costumes, but especially when you get into your more futuristic um, worlds, I think that you're going to start seeing really interesting and unexpected things happening technologically that are going to really continue to affect the look of sci-fi specifically. I think it's exciting. I think, uh, yeah. you know, we always talk about how lucky we are living in the time where, you know, mm -hmm. sci-fi and geekdom is, uh, you know, looked on favorably. 
you know, they're making a ton of money off of uh, films that we love. And uh, that is inspiring these studios to give us a lot more of what we love. And um, I think that's fantastic. There is an advantage to being able to create, uh, you know, costumes digitally, obviously. Uh, but there's also, you know, a, an advantage in, in the technology uh, moving forward in leaps and bounds uh, because it kind of frees the creatives behind the scenes to kind of really, you know, give us the best possible story and the best possible visuals for, um, you know, for everything that we're experiencing now and in the future. So, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, even before uh, Ahsoka um, sprang onto uh, Disney Plus's Mandalorian, you know, uh, Alex and I from the Salty Nerd were always, we, we were talking about how, um, how they were going to do it if Ahsoka was going to jump into live action, how they were going to do it. She has a very, uh, very unique look. And uh, obviously we've seen a lot of, you know, tons of cosplay, which uh, are, are not, you know, they don't look uh, 100% believable. They're great for cosplay, but uh, everybody's used to Ahsoka's look and uh, wondering how they were going to do it. Was it going to be a hybrid of, of practical costumes with uh, practical makeup or CGI, a hybrid uh, of some, uh, some sort? Um, but, you know, th they did what they did. I think it uh, succeeded because she looked great. And um, just really looking forward to whatever whatever else they come up with uh, in the realm of costumes, because, uh, you know, there's quite a lot of characters in uh, in every genre that uh, that deserve, you know, the, that hundred percent when it comes to, you know, thinking about costumes and, and placing them in that world for us to enjoy. So I, I think it's I think it's exciting. How far has uh costuming and sci-fi come from you know like original star trek days you watch uh, it and they're uh, like oh they're wearing lots of tinfoil <laughs> and go-go boots and go-go boots yeah <laughs> to boldly go where no man has gone before Do you like the evolution of the Star Trek costumes, especially when you get to the J.J. Abrams movies? I do. I really, um, I really love the the J.J. Uh, movies, and Me I too. think that they did a really good job with the costumes of updating them in a sense that mm -hmm. they they attained a, a degree of realism that just right. wasn't even kind of possible in the '60s. You know, especially with their aliens. Mm -hmm. um, and, and all of that. So I, I really appreciate it. Personally, I think that the new um, Federation uniforms looked awesome. I really like the new Federation uniforms. Yeah, I think they're cool. And I like the uh, I like the, the fabric or the pattern that that you can kind of see embedded in in mm -hmm. the uh, in, in the costumes. I think, um, you know, obviously in the 60s, you just had, you know, just regular cloth and you can tell it was just, you know, a shirt that somebody made, whatever. But uh, some of the new fabrics and some of the new patterns in the newest uh, iteration of Star Trek are, are really mm -hmm. great. Um, again, just, you know, technology moving forward, moving the uh, the the costume making world uh, mm -hmm. is, is really exciting. Really cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This those screen printed, um, I guess is what they were. But all the the tiny little Federation symbols mm -hmm. that are like so small, they just all blur together to make one color. I was a fan. 
I was a fan. But you know, that goes to show you again, just the thought that goes into making these costumes from, from the get go, you know, Mm -hmm. you have a concept of what it is that you're trying to do and you have to base it in something. You have to base it in a certain ideology, whether it's designing, you know, Klingon only costumes or Federation only costumes. And, you know, um, so I, I think that's really cool. I think uh, the thought that goes into that process, I mm-hmm. think, is is really cool. That's one of the reasons I love watching all these behind the scenes, you know, uh, you know, little films and vignettes uh, on Disney Plus, because it really gives me a, a really great insight into into that process and i I really Mm -hmm. love love it appreciate it more absolutely hey what's up podcast family ro here just wanted to give our patrons a heartfelt thank you wonderful folks who have found it in their hearts to support the scare of scuttlebutt podcast we're super lucky to have you folks like amanda jedi caligula 89 joey rosales the salty crew alex and matt super fan of many of the pods on the red five network backyard tardis nicholas schaefer what's up nick chad at hyperspace and holocrons jay from florida and our newest patron frank v big thanks and a returning patron in the executor tier 97 bravo huge respect my friend we thank you all for your support and if you want to become more involved in the Scare of Scuttlebutt community and feel like becoming a patron, head over to patreon.com slash scare of scuttlebutt. Remember, we can't have the scuttle without the butt. And don't forget, it's always sunny on Scarif with patrons like you. So before we end, you guys uh, have any final thoughts on costumes when it comes to uh, geek genre, uh, superheroes, fantasy? What do you like? What do you don't like? What are you happy that we are done with? Or what are you more excited that uh, we might be doing more of? I did mention um, plastic nipples, so I hope we <laughs> that's in the past. I think it is. <laughs> or at least I hope it is. Uh, nothing. I uh, all I can say is, you know, they go hand in hand. <laughs> you know, they just go hand in hand. Can't exist without the other. As I said, for me especially, costumes are always going to be so visually stimulating. It's it's what you associate <clears throat> and identify these characters with. So there's just so much emphasis on that. And one of the things that I was actually going to say is. I know we don't like to do fan service, but at the same point, I also like that I think there has been a little bit of level of that when it comes to costume design. So, for instance, I had just recently watched Deadpool again not that long ago and kind of reading the trivia again and, you know, reading how he fought so much to make sure that that costume looked exactly how it looked in the comic book to not, you know, especially because he cared so much about this character. And, and I really, I really like that. And the costume was beautiful. They did a really good job. And I just appreciate it so much. I've always been that way. I like dressing up myself. Halloween is a huge deal for me. I have plenty of costumes myself. So it's, it's, it's a whole other character. It's a whole other character. And I, and I just love it. Absolutely. Well, let's see. I'm not sorry to have moved past the stage where aliens automatically wore like silver lame and had mm. you know <laughs> and, and antennae. antennas um so i i don't i don't think that anyone is devastated to see you know uh that particular stage of 
of sci-fi left in the past. Mm -hmm. But um, I just think that, you know, all, all indications are there's some really talented people working specifically um, in sci-fi and in fantasy. Um, the costume director for the Orville is great. Like those uniforms are phenomenal. It's one, in fact, one of, the, one of the first things I noticed when I watched the movie. Um, and of course, Sandy Powell and Colleen Atwood are still, you know, working their magic and winning ludicrous numbers of Academy Awards with their beautiful uh, creations. And, you know, there are just a lot of really talented people always coming up doing really phenomenal things. Uh, the costume designer for... Oh, shoot. I've totally lost it. Game of Thrones, the costume designer for Game of Thrones. And in spite of the fact that it did not get any votes on our poll. Yeah. Really did a great job, you know, peopling this world with really um, distinct and, and beautiful costumes. So I'm really I'm loving the direction that that costuming in, in nerd culture is going. And uh, if I have my way, I'd figure out a way to work in it. But alas, I live in Mississippi. So <laughs> here I am. <laughs> Fun fact: I have a I have a Cersei costume, so I'm actually really surprised that there were no votes. Yeah. Oh, I mean, like y'all, Dragon Con the year, <laughs> like the year before Game of Thrones ended. Mm -hmm. I swear, half the cosplayers there were wearing like a white blonde wig. I mean, and, and a lot of them had a Starbucks cup too. Like there were, I mean, so many Game of Thrones cosplayers you would not even believe. So clearly we just missed the, uh, we missed the niche because there are definitely a lot of those people out there too. Awesome. Friends, I want to thank you very much for joining me on this episode of the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. Uh, Marisha, you are on a few different podcasts and I want to get uh, I want to uh, have people know where you can be found. Let us know. Yeah, well, um, I am can usually be found on Coruscant Radio Underground, which is our Star Wars podcast, or our just general nerddom podcast, which is the Science Fictionary podcast. Um, both of those can pretty much be found anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, you can find me personally on Instagram at princesses underscore and underscore padawans, and I'm P Padawans on Twitter. Excellent, excellent. And Chantel, where can I tell Conan O'Brien to reach you? Oh, God. Come to Miami, <laughs> Conan. Come to Miami. I'll be waiting for you. Jeez. Since I was right. 16. Since I was 16. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Well, since Marisha is uh, our uh, very honored guest tonight on the Scare Scuttlebutt podcast, I'm going to let Marisha do our uh, final word. Uh, Marisha, if you'd please take us out. Okay. Well, thank you all for coming. And that's the Scuttlebutt. Woohoo! <laughs> Love it. Greetings, listener. Just a reminder that the podcast you just heard is a proud member of the Red 5 Network family. Red5Network.com offers you a great variety of shows you'll be sure to love. So the next time you're itching for quality content, make sure you head over to Red5Network.com. You'll find this podcast along with a whole lot more. All wings report in. It's the Red 5 Network. Red 5 Network.